0: two topics I'm going to look at today are favoritism and faith and deeds. Why don't we uh, pray quickly um, and then we'll begin by looking at favoritism. Yeah, Father God, I thank you for your name, Lord God. I thank you for your glory. Father, I really pray that you would speak to us this morning. Would you speak to us through your word? Yeah, we thank you for this rock on which we stand, Father God. Mm. May we encounter you this morning. Amen. Right, so, favouritism. Um, if you've got your Bibles, um, we'll start off by looking at James 2, uh, verses 1 to 13. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Okay. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. Wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers Do you know one of the first things that goes through my mind when I read this passage? Isn't it amazing that we are under grace? This uh, really highlights for me how fallible we are as humans. You know, there are so many little petty things in our ways, and it just goes to show how much we need the grace of God in our lives. I'll come back to that point in a a bit. There we go. (laughs) James. It's (laughs) blinding. James sees favouritism as being a potential hazard in the church, and so in true James fashion he addresses the issue head on. James doesn't want us to miss the message, which is why he tells us in simple words four times, backed up by various different illustrations, not to show favouritism or give special attention to someone because of their outward appearance. Who can uh, remember what it was like standing in the playground as a kid, waiting for the teams to get picked to play football on something else? There was always that one kid. It might surprise you that on most occasions, it was me. (laughs) You never wanted to be that kid who got picked last. This whole topic is based around the commandment of loving your neighbour as yourself. This is what Jesus refers to in Matthew 22 as being the second greatest commandment, second to loving the Lord your God With all your heart. These two commandments are what the whole of the Old Testament law and prophets hang on. James is highlighting here how people in the early church were showing favouritism with the contrasts of the rich and the poor. For us today, though, um, I think the contrasts aren't going to be as much that we prefer to talk and show favouritism with people with shiny rings. Well, at least I don't think so, anyway. And it's not going to be as obvious as you, John. I like you. Come sit here at the front. Mike, you're unimportant. Go to the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be more that we show favouritism or, or spend our time with people that we see the most or have the most in common. On Sunday, it's easy for us to just hone in on, and spend time with just a few people that we get on well with. But as James reminds us about loving our neighbours ourselves, we need to make sure we're not showing favouritism with people. I want to make the point, though, that naturally liking someone and showing them favouritism are two completely different things. I remember back at school um, being taught by one of my teachers who also had a son in the class. Um, Did she like her son better than the rest of us? I would hope she did. Um, But did she show favouritism towards him? Definitely not. In fact, almost the opposite. In the same way, we might be naturally drawn to different people as against others, but it doesn't mean that they are to receive special treatment or to be ignored by us. If people are new to the church or visiting, for example, it's great when people make the effort to come and speak to others. A welcome and open community are really going to be key for us as the church grows, especially when we move venue. And I really want to encourage everyone this morning in this. Um, A couple of weeks ago, my sister was up visiting. Um, I was on worship and and Rachel was away for the weekend. So she came to the church by herself and found her own way here. Um, I was chatting to her afterwards and she spoke so highly of the welcome she got when she arrived, which is great. So much so, she gave us 10 points. (laughs) Well, not me because I ignored her for the whole time. But (laughs) it was brilliant that people made the effort to go talk to her. ...and find her a seat and things. I know she was only up for the weekend... ...but that's the kind of welcoming church that we should be. So nice one. (laughs) I'm not saying we have to do the rounds... ...and talk to everyone in the church every Sunday. You know, the more we grow... ...the more impossible that's going to be. But we just need to ensure that we're an open community... ...one that is welcoming to visitors and everyone alike. Our ways of uh, showing favouritism... ...are a contrast to uh, how we see Jesus behaving in the New Testament... Imagine how different the Gospels would have been if he'd only spent time with people who he had things in common with, maybe only other skilled carpenters or wise religious leaders. But who were his closest group of friends? A bunch of smelly, unimportant fishermen. But even then, he could have been really exclusive, told them all the good stuff and shown off the best miracles. But they were, while they were a close group, they were an open community reaching all types of people groups. You know, as uh, Julia mentioned in the, uh, the notices, uh, she's going to be heading up our, our welcome team, and I'm sure it's something she won't mind me saying, as she mentioned earlier, but if you've been thinking about it or you're not sure what it involves, you know, chat to her afterwards. Even if you're not officially on the welcome team, and as we've all been doing a great job already, being welcoming and open is still something that we should all still strive for. Favouritism isn't necessarily an obvious thing, but it's something that lurks in us. So as we stand on the edge of moving to our new venue, let's really continue to be a welcoming church that is a real beacon of light in this city. I wonder if you've ever thought of favouritism as a sin before. When we show favouritism to others, we are not loving each other as ourselves and are going against God's heart. As uh, James mentions in the last few verses of this section, you only need to break one of the laws to become a lawbreaker. There's a great kid's song, and I'm looking for Chrissy to back me up on this. Um, It says, grace is when God gives us the things we don't deserve. Do you know know it? No? Really? Oh, well. I'm not going to get you up the front to sing it then. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Done. My nose, that's all right. (laughs) But it, it goes on to say, mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. And I just think, for me, it greatly explains the whole grace and mercy picture. I, of course, need a kid's song to bring it down to my level. (laughs) But um, there's a great verse at the end of this section, though. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The church is the one place on earth, and Christians are the one group of people that should make life here equal, because Jesus made us all equal in God's eyes at the cross. Right, so, faith and deeds. This is uh, James 2, 14, 20 to 26. If you've got your Bibles, um, let's just have a quick read of this passage. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Right, so faith and deeds. What we believe in and what we do. On the surface, this passage can cause quite a few questions. As Christians, we believe that our faith in Jesus that Jesus died for our sins is all we need to be justified before God. Justification is one of those buzzwords, but it means that God declares a sinner to be righteous. He does this by giving the righteousness of Jesus to the sinner and that is done by faith. That is, when a sinner puts his faith in the sacrifice of Jesus and trusts him and not himself for righteousness, God justifies him. This is uh, what Paul says in Romans 3. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That's Romans 3.20. And for, the, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, which is Romans 3.28. So why does it sound like James is rubbishing people who have faith and saying it's not good enough? Is there a contradiction here? Good news, there is no contradiction. James is talking about two kinds of faith. One that leads to godly works and one that does not, one that is true and the other false, one that is dead and the other alive, which is why he says, faith without deeds is dead, works. (laughs) At the time this letter was written, uh, there were two contrasts of people in the church. There were the Jewish converts who were very strict in maintaining the necessity of good works in order to have that relationship with God, and there were other various groups who Without a, various life, without a life of good works as backup behind them saw the other side of faith as being their absolute and only way of being saved. What James is doing is picking up on the people who are abusing these two positions. People were hiding behind the faith justifies all banner and others were working to show off how wonderful their works were. The point James is making is that people with true faith show it through their works and commitments and people with godly living have to have true faith to live that way. The false faith James is talking about here is like a mental acknowledgement of something's existence. The demons acknowledge and believe that God exists, whereas true faith is more than a mental acknowledgement. It involves a trust in something, a giving over to it, a complete believing and acceptance of something. This is the kind of faith that a Christian has in Jesus. As Christians, then, we have true faith in God, that is, real faith and trust in Christ, not simply an acknowledgement that he lived on earth at any one given time. Another way to think about this is that there are many people in the world who believe that Jesus lived, but they do not believe he is their saviour, the one to be looked at and trusted for the forgiveness of their sins. I was uh, thinking the other day about how we encounter faith and deeds as a principle in our day-to-day lives. So much we do requires faith and actions, and we do it without even thinking about it. When it comes to our faith and actions with our relationship with God, though, we can complicate things. For some reason, it becomes a lot more abstract. I wanted to show you quickly, by way of a little video, eh? (laughs) what I mean by encountering faith and deeds in our day-to-day lives. So, I've donned my director's cap and came up with this spectacular mini-movie. Okay, a rule of thumb to remember when watching this is that my car is God. Also, this is not Hollywood and had a very low production budget. (laughs) Thank you very much. <laughs> oh dear. If, uh, for the keen-eyed of you, did anyone notice my lines in my back pocket as I walked off? Yeah. I only noticed that right at the end. I was like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> right, so hopefully my point of how we use faith and deeds every day is now strongly stuck in your minds. My car was just one example, but there are so many, the list would be probably endless. You know, like using our computers, turning it on. But do you see what I mean though? How much do we put our faith in products of the world? How much more so, then, should we be putting our lives and our faith in what we do in God? The false faith James teaches about does not lead to works. True faith does. False faith is not of the heart. True faith is. When we put our faith into action, we can achieve great things, even getting a pint of milk before the tea goes cold. What is your need to go to the shops for milk this morning? Is there something that you're thinking you need to give to God that you've been trying to do on your own? Well, the first step has to be faith. It can't go the other way around. Let's step out in faith this morning, in situations that we're finding hard, yet trying to do in our own strength. Do you have faith today that God is real and active in your life, that he loves us so much he went to the ends of the earth to be with us, even die for us, so that we might be with him for eternity? Where true faith is, God is there. Because we have a faith that Jesus died for us, we respond to that by living a life for God. I'm a firm believer that as we affirm our faith, through that we start to do more for God, and from that we'll see more amazing things. At which gives us more faith, which means we'll see even more amazing things. God is really able to work through us when we have faith in Him. So, as I come into land, just a few, uh, just to conclude a few points this morning. Let's really be a welcoming church, one that's a real open community. And let's be a church of true faith, where people will see our faith from our actions and our love for the lost. Why don't we uh, stand together? Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of worship. But um, if there's something that's spoken to you this morning, I really want to encourage you to open your hearts to God and really let him speak to you as we pray now. Why don't we just uh, pray together. Father, our Lord, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, I thank you that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we live in freedom of sin in our lives. Lord, I pray today for a true faith in our hearts, one that beats for you and motivates us in action for you. Lord, I pray that our actions would be in line with our faith in you. Lord, we give over to you this morning any situations where we are trying to run in our own strength. Father, we want to say this morning that, Lord, we have faith in you. May our faith in you govern our situations and actions, Lord. Lord, we thank you. You are such a good God. We thank you that you care so intimately about our lives and what we do. Lord, I pray now, renew our faith. Touch our hearts with your spirit, Father. Yeah, Lord, we want to know you more and grow our faith in you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.